0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Cato Institute. My name is Marian Tupi. I'm a policy analyst with the Center for Global Liberty and Prosperity here at Cato, focusing uh, primarily on economic development in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. I want to welcome you all to Cato, and uh, especially I want to welcome uh, our two ambassadors. With uh, all the negative news that is coming out of Africa, it is easy to paint the continent with uh, too broad of a brush and uh, get a sense that Africa is a hopeless continent marred by poverty and violence. But um, uh, today with us are representatives of two countries who are among the richest African countries and indeed uh, one of the most rapidly uh, economically growing countries in the world. Botswana and Mauritius are respectively the fourth and the third richest countries in Africa. The first, or the richest country in Africa, is the tourist haven, (laughs) haven and heaven, uh, in Seychelles. And the second is the all-rich country of Equatorial Guinea, um, which I tend to ignore when I talk about rich, successful African countries, because Equatorial Guinea is one of the most unequal and one of the most oppressive countries. And one wonders how much of the wealth in that country really belongs to the people and how much of it goes to the pockets of, 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 its, of its rulers. So why is Botswana and Mauritius, why are they a success story? Well, take Botswana. Between 1966 and 2006, Botswana's average annual compound GDP growth per capita was 7.22%, which was higher than China's 6.99% over the same time period. In other words, for four decades, Botswana's economy grew even faster than that of the People's Republic of China. In 1966, Botswana's GDP per capita was only $304. By, nine, by 2006, adjusted for inflation, Botswana's incomes per capita were $4,000. Four hundred and twenty-three dollars. In four decades, the people of Botswana became fourteen and a half times richer. Surely a success by any measure. Or take Mauritius. The Nobel Prize-winning economist James Mead from United Kingdom, who who inspected the situation in Mauritius in 1961, claimed that he discovered, I quote a Malthusian tragedy in the making, surveying that country's population profile and development prospects, Mead wrote that for demographic reasons it is going to be a great achievement if Mauritius can find productive employment for her greatly increased population without a serious reduction in the existing average standard of living. Mauritius has proven to be one of the most prosperous countries in Africa. In 1980 the first year for which uh, uh, we have data, incomes per capita in Mauritius were $1,572. By 2006, they were $4,522. In other words, in 26 years, incomes per capita almost tripled. What accounts for these developments? I would like to believe that it is more than a coincidence that two of the fastest growing African countries are also the two economically freest countries on the African continent, according to the Economic Freedom of the World report, which is published co jointly by the Fraser Institute in Canada and also by the Cato Institute. Mauritius is the twenty second is the is the freest country in Africa and the twenty second freest country In the world on the same level as Japan and Sweden. Botswana, in 38th place, has the same level of economic freedom as Belgium and Taiwan. Of course, not all is rosy. Take Botswana, for example, and uh, the scourge of AIDS, which has slashed the longevity in that country quite remarkably. But today, we will be focusing on the positives. And surely, there is one paramount question that needs to be answered, and that is, why? Why did Botswana and Mauritius choose economic policies that led to economic growth, increased prosperity? Why did they not opt for socialism, statism, political repression in the same way that so many other African countries have? Our first speaker today will be the Ambassador of Botswana. His Excellency Cecil Lakoa was appointed Botswana Ambassador to the United States in October 2002. Prior to this, he was High Commissioner of Botswana in Zambia. His uh, diplomatic career began in 1977 when he joined the Foreign Affairs Ministry. He served in various capacities, including First Secretary of Botswana Embassy and Mission to the European Union, and in the same capacity, at the Botswana High Commission in the United Kingdom. Ambassador Lekoa, welcome to the Cato Institute.
1: Uh, Good good afternoon. Uh, Marion has warned me that uh, there are so many people here who know about Botswana uh, that therefore I should be very careful not to try to exaggerate uh, or to overstate uh, what I'm going to say. And I think he was right. I can see a few people here who who who, who I know, know Botswana very well. But uh, nonetheless, I'm happy to be here uh, this afternoon. Uh, Marion, uh, Ambassador Ruhi of Mauritius, ladies and gentlemen and colleagues, can you hear me from this? Uh, when I received the invitation to speak at this highly prestigious and revered institute, I experienced conflicting emotions. The first was that of surprise that with all the more exciting news about wars, conflicts, soaring food prices, U.S. campaigns, the Cato Institute wanted to hear more about Botswana's development, uh, about Botswana's modest political development. At the same time, I was excited to find out what the Keto Institute really wanted. Was it really to hear about Botswana, or is there something else that they really want to know? The second and more scary thought was to share the the stage with the Ambassador of Mauritius, a representative of a country whose image and achievements make Botswana's pale in comparison. Botswana's journey started 40 years ago. The country was resource poor, underdeveloped with no fiscal infrastructure a per capita income of only 70 US dollars and a donor funded budget i know marion said uh, slightly more than 70 dollars 3 years after independence the first president of botswana the late Cesar khama described botswana as a country and i uh, quote faced with a problem of underdevelopment of classic proportions unquote other outside observers remarked that the people of Botswana were either very brave or very foolish in seeking independence from the British. Botswana indeed was a least developed country at that time. Today, Botswana's per, per capita income exceeds $5,000. The country provides free quality education and health care for all its people. And together with Mauritius, it is the only other country to graduate from a lower level of development to a higher one in the United Nations Classification Index. The country has consistently received the highest possible credit ratings from international rating agencies. According to Transparency International, Botswana is the least corrupt corrupt country in Africa and is graded higher than all the G8 countries in the area of political stability by the World Bank. These modest achievements have meant different things to different people, especially outside observers. To many, this is a rare African story to be replicated across the whole African continent. To some, it's a question of luck. A few skeptics have even wondered whether it is not pure accident. After all, this is an African country, the argument goes, nothing works out there in Africa. Well... These questions will keep coming to mind. This is why we are here this afternoon. In my humble view, this success story is a product of the following attributes, which I see as the foundations of our society. And mark the words foundations, because I think they are very, very important. And I'm happy to be talking about the foundations rather than talking about the the, the manifest success that uh, we all know about, uh, which you probably uh, know more about than I do. Uh, One is societal values. These values predate the colonial era and include, A, political tolerance. Botswana society accepts dissent or dissenting views as a necessary input in human relations or social interaction. An opposing viewpoint is not perceived as an evil that must be eliminated. In Botswana, traditional discussion forum We say, I think only Tony here will understand what I'm talking about, uh, which uh, roughly translated means all the words spoken in this forum have value. Uh, All the words spoken here have value, uh, the good and the bad ones. They they all have to be said or they, 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 they deserve being heard. In our view, tolerance is therefore the most important dynamic. With it, most other things must fall in place. Maybe that's a naïve point of view. A, B, pragmatism. Many people believe that this was an instinctive reaction of people's earlier suffering, uncertainty, and hardship living in a poor and drought-stricken country. National choices were therefore made on the basis of what worked, not what ideological label attached to it. This so was going choose market capitalism at independence, when many... Other countries opted for central planning in order to assert national control over resources in the post-independence era. C. Leaders as servants of the people. This precept has led to a sense of accountability and good governance in the exercise of public office. This is where I think uh, corruption uh, is challenged first and foremost, the first, the the, the, the front, uh, in terms of just the values. Uh, that the people are the the, the the servants of the people and and they are doing what what they are doing on behalf of the of the people and not the other way around uh, d consensus every major policy decision or initiative is adopted only after extensive consultations with stakeholders for us, consensus is the basis for governmental action e there is a sense of inclusion, or should I say inclusiveness. Perhaps born out of political tolerance, this is the belief that all of our citizens can make a contribution to national development, irrespective of political affiliation or station in life. The former president of Botswana, Quet Masire, observes, for instance, that in deciding on important matters such as national symbols like the national anthem, the coat of arms, the national flag, the whole nation was consulted in 1965. Thus, our national anthem, for instance, was created by the founder of an opposition party. The colors and design of the flag were proposed by a former colonial officer. Of course, there were modifications after that, or, or, or an input... Uh, <laughs> This would have been unthinkable in many countries then and even now, I believe. Two is the national principles. First, I talked about the societal values. Uh, These are the national principles, which I believe form part of of the foundations. At independence, the people of Botswana were mobilized around five principles to reflect the national conscience and guide national action. A, democracy. For people already espousing ethics such as political tolerance, inclusiveness, consultations and consensus, political pluralism, it would seem, was a more natural political option than any other dispensation. So the necessity, if you like, of one-party state system justified by many countries in the 1960s on the basis of national unity or nation building did not appear so imperative in our case. Non-pluralistic options were discounted for another reason. They were deemed incapable of delivering on the practical needs of the people. You remember that I talked about the pragmatic instinct or the non-ideological approach to life. Yes, politics was always seen as a key to economic embattement. So the two were linked. And what, what, whatever politics uh, was was pursuing or the political policies were they were, were they were seen to, or were judged on the basis of uh, uh, what you know outcome they would have uh, in terms of uh, uh, political uh, economic results. And socialism or state capitalism was not considered a viable tool in that regard. B unity. Though largely a homogeneous society, every ethnic group, however small. Had to feel that they were part of the new country through deliberative or deliberate inclusion, inclusive policy and action. Various methods of affirmative action were put in place to help bring all sections of the population in the mainstream of life. C. Development. The government and the people of Botswana believe that man was both the agent and beneficiary of development. This emphasis helps explain the huge investment in people through education and health, uh, which I talked about as being free uh, in Botswana at the moment. We don't know whether that is sustainable in the long term. Uh, D, self-reliance. This is the firm belief that the people are the masters of their own destiny. E, uh, the concept concept of botu or humaneness in English. This is the sense that in a community, one's self-esteem or dignity can only be guaranteed if one extended the same to others. It, it, it sounds a bit convoluted, but uh, I think only is better expressed in my language than uh, translated in English. Uh, it's, it's an innate value. Uh, three national institutions. Before the advent of colonialism, Botswana traditional society had its own system of democratic governance known as the Kotla system, or village councils, in which Tony uh, served. Uh, These forums, headed by chiefs and their councillors, allowed for free and open debate on important issues, community issues, after which decisions were taken on the basis of consensus. This is how the former president of Botswana, Sayikitumile Masire, characterized the Kotla system in a recent speech at the University of Botswana, end quote. These structures allowed for wider consultation and keeping law and order in our society. This indeed was what could be described as democratic politics and practices. These were credible and legitimate traditional institutions which allowed for due processes of democracy and good governance. This was and still is embedded in, our culture, in the culture of our society today. End of quote. Thus, in a sense, Western institutions and processes such as legislatures, law and order maintenance, the rule of law, consultations, and so forth, were only new in name but not in practice in our case. They were already deep-rooted and governed everyday life. Ladies and gentlemen, these foundations have given Botswana the moral and political strength to pursue a higher purpose for its people. By 2016, that will be 50 years after independence, the people of Botswana want to have created an innovative and prosperous nation, a compassionate and caring nation, an educated and informed nation, a secure nation, a united nation. Having said all that, we are the first to admit in Botswana that the country still has challenges. These people have concerns and aspirations. As we have already seen, Botswana seeks to have advanced to an even higher level of development and prosperity by the year 2016. This may be too ambitious. That may be so. However, we take courage in and indeed encouragement from the fact that these foundations have placed the country on the right path to sustainable development. The challenge is to ensure that no other force or interest no matter how strong or assertive, should be allowed to undermine these foundations. With political tolerance, the country has traveled many miles and avoided the pitfalls of interstate conflict so common in many societies today. With economic pragmatism, Botswana has joined countries like Mauritius and others on the African continent to seek a better life for its people. This is the experience of Botswana. I don't know whether this is unique or what. I leave that to your judgment. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Mr. Ambassador, for a very interesting presentation. Uh, the, uh, The reason why I gave you slightly lower numbers, for which I apologize, um, is because mine are based on constant $2,000 from the World Bank. But obviously, depending on how you uh, calculate uh, inflation levels over the past 40 years, you will get a different sense of proportion. Um, Our next speaker is um, uh, the ambassador of the Republic of Mauritius to the United States. Uh, Mr. Kailash Ruhi was educated at Louisiana State University and the University of Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, which is, of course, our biggest competitor. I went to St. Andrews in Scotland. Um, And um, he holds a uh, Master's in Science in Agriculture, a degree with statistics as minor. Um, Ambassador Ruhi held uh, the following portfolios in the government of Mauritius. He was the Minister of Economic Planning and Development, Minister of Civil Service and Employment, and he was also Minister of Agricultural and Natural Resources. He was an active member of the Executive Committee of the Commonwealth Parliamentary Association and participated in several high-level missions relating to democracy and governance. He served on on, on several uh, boards and uh, held memberships as founding member of the Transparency Mauritius, American Chamber of Commerce in Mauritius, And uh, he is a member of the Mauritius Wildlife Fund as well as uh, director of the Board of Investment. In his capacity as the minister, uh, sorry, as Mauritius Ambassador to the United States, he is currently holding the following memberships, member of the Advisory Board of the African Presidential Archives and Research Center at the Boston University, and also member of the Ambassador's Advisory Board Executive Council on Diplomacy here in Washington, D.C. Prior to his appointment as Ambassador to the United States in February 2007, he was the Chief of Staff of the Prime Minister of Mauritius. Ambassador, welcome to the Cato
2: Institute. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, let me start off by saying how delighted I am to be uh, at Cato and sharing the podium with uh, my good friend, the ambassador of uh, uh, Botswana. I'd like to uh, thank Cato, Marion in particular, for the opportunity to uh, address uh, such a distinguished uh, audience. I acknowledge. Uh, the presence in the audience of uh, uh, several very important uh, personalities, including uh, ambassadors from Tanzania, from uh, Suriname, and also my good friend, the new ambassador to Lesotho, from Lesotho. Uh, we also have somebody who I prefer not to name, but a, an important guy who takes very important decisions at USTR. So, I have to be very careful of what i said I must, I must, uh, I must say that uh, ever since my appointment as ambassador to uh, the u s about eighteen months ago i 've been attending events at uh, Cato each time my schedule has permitted it and I must tell you, for somebody who is still at the very much at the lag phase of the knowledge curve uh, it 's a tremendous uh, learning experience. Uh, Events at Cato tend to be very uh, challenging, very stimulating, and very provocative. Uh, I immediately crave your indulgence because uh, I bet I won't be able to live up to uh, these standards. Uh, anyway, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I think uh, one to be v- one has to be very modest when talking about the. Uh, Success, Because according to me, success is uh, a relative term and also it is very transient in nature depending on how you manage it. So I'm going to be very careful not to fall into the trap of uh, ecstatic euphoria or irrational exuberance when talking about uh, the success of, 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 my, of my country. Uh, if I can sum up in a few words... The case of Mauritius, I would say here is a classic example of a country that that has moved from being what it used to be at independence, a cauldron of despair and poverty into a cradle of hope and prosperity. I think this sums up, to a certain extent, the evolution of the uh, socio-economic development of of, uh, Mauritius. Now, I assume that such a distinguished audience as you uh, will all know where Mauritius is, but I don't know whether it is a fair assumption because I realize that each time I meet somebody in the States, uh, his knowledge of Mauritius is informed by the expression as dead as the dodo. Because uh, Mauritius is the only country in the world where this clumsy bird uh, ever existed. So, uh, with your permission, a bit of Geography 101. Uh, Mauritius is a very small island in the southwest Indian Ocean. It is only 30 miles long by 24 miles wide. I bet there will be people in this audience who owns farms, which are bigger than my uh, country. Uh, we have 1.3 million inhabitants, making of Mauritius one of the most densely populated Countries in the world. The population is of diverse origin Indians, Africans, Europeans, mainly French and Chinese. We are bilingual, English and French, and also trilingual in certain uh, cases. It has very little natural resources, uh, except, of course, uh, for its people. It would be fair to say that countries like Botswana and Mauritius are what I call geographically challenged uh, states in the sense that Botswana is a landlocked uh, country and uh, Mauritius is a waterlocked uh, country. Lee Kuan Yew once, once described Mauritius as a piece of rock uh, floating in the, uh, Indian, in the Indian Ocean. So for us, both in the case of Botswana and in the case of Mauritius, it has been, without exaggeration, a constant battle against the tyranny of geography and also, to a certain extent, the tyranny of of history. Now, very quickly, uh, mention has been made of Mauritius uh, at Independence. At Independence, we had an agricultural monocrop economy and what economists would call a textbook example of a monocrop economy because 96% of our export earnings uh, came from the production and export of sugar and uh, sugar accounted for more than 35% of our GDP. The Per capita income was $175. Mauritius was a beneficiary of food aid in those days, food aid under PL 480. As a matter of fact, I myself, I take pride in saying that I was personally a beneficiary of food aid donated uh, so generously by the people of the United States of of, uh, America. The development indicators were very low. Uh, typical of third world countries, low life expectancy, high infant mortality, high illiteracy rate, and demographic explosion with a population growth rate exceeding 3%, all, as was suggested, led to one uh, predicting that Mauritius would be a typical case of a Malthusian curse. Now, we also, have, uh, we also had uh, quite a lot of uh, ethnic tensions in the multi-ethnic society of uh, Mauritius, and we were highly vulnerable to external shocks and also to the vagaries of of, uh, Mother Nature. So you heard how a Nobel laureate, Professor Mead, uh, literally wrote the future of the island uh, off. There was another Nobel laureate, a maverick, a British maverick, uh, uh, originally from Trinidad and Tobago, by the name of uh, uh, V.S. Naipaul, He came to Mauritius, and apparently he was so inspired by the level of poverty and social deprivation that he wrote a book called The Overcrowded Barracoon. Now, we decided there and then that we would not suffer the same fate as our famous dodo, and we also decided that we have to prove these two Nobel laureates wrong. One thing that perhaps you don't know is that We also decided that we're going to prove one of the greatest literary icons of the United States. Right. I'm referring to Mark Twain. Mark Twain visited Mauritius in 1896. He was so impressed by the beauty and the pride of the Mauritian population that apparently, uh, well, he became very popular. He's still very popular in Mauritius. Apparently he said, I'm not so sure uh, whether he actually said it, but everybody says it, Mark Twain apparently said, one gets the impression that God created Mauritius first and paradise afterwards. So we decided in a resolute manner to embark upon a development path to prove Mark Twain right. Now, 40 years after independence, Mauritius is now considered an upper-middle-income country with a per capita income expected to be $7,000 by the end of this year, if the dollar goes down the way it is going, it's going to be much higher, Uh, $10,000 in a couple of years uh, to come. All the development indicators are high today, with HDIs uh, approaching those of the developed world. More importantly, perhaps, and I'd like to lay some stress on this, we have gradually instilled in the population an entrepreneurial culture. We have slowly we have slowly uh, gotten rid of what I call the culture of entitlement. We've made the population realize that there is no such thing as a nanny state that will take care of you from cradle to grave. So we inculcated, and we're still trying to inculcate, a culture of uh, self reliance and self uh, development. That's why you will hear our Prime Minister saying time and again, in the world that we are living today, no one owes us a living and there is no such thing as a free meal. This, to a great extent, is literally uh, moulding the new mindscape of the Mauritian uh, population. Economic diversification has been quite successful, moving from sugar to textile and apparel, upmarket tourism, financial services, and free port services, constituting the main uh, poles of uh, economic growth. We have also expanded our uh, economic space through regional integration, and regional integration is now an integral part of our development uh, strategy. Increasing Mauritian investment in the region have fostered what I call strategic regional partnerships that hinge on the mutuality of interest of neighbouring countries. Well, the the progress of Mauritius has been described by many eminent personalities as the economic miracle. Uh, Believe me, there is nothing miraculous about economic uh, development. I don't believe that economic development is somehow a question of winning a celestial uh, lottery. Mauritius also became known as the tiger of of, uh, the Indian Ocean, but I must say that the earliest stages, and even up to a certain extent now, the earliest stages of socioeconomic development in Mauritius have been defined by preferential market access to Europe and the US. This is still the case, and preferential market access, just as so many other countries from Africa uh, uh, benefit. I mean, uh, this has been so to such an extent that a good friend of mine an ambas- ambassador uh, of, of the U.S. to uh, Mauritius, Ambassador Leslie Alexander, uh, said that Mauritius is nothing else but a mouse on steroid. Uh, in recent years, the development strategy, which relied on high trade protection for local manufacturing and on trade preferences for sugar and textile exports, came under severe stress from the policy to lower trade barriers, the dismantling of the multi-fiber agreement and the drastic cut in the guaranteed price of sugar as a result of the reform of the EU sugar regime. The development model collapsed under these pressures and other external shocks and was completely incapable of delivering growth and prosperity in this new world uh, economic order. So Mauritius is still facing numerous challenges. The skyrocketing price of oil and food commodities – and the consequences of an economic slowdown in our main markets, namely the United States and the European Union. As pointed out recently by our Finance Minister, and I quote, Mauritius needed to run a new lap of development, centred this time on greater openness of the economy and global competitiveness. Repairing and adapting the old model would not have been enough. It had to be thrust aside in favour of a completely new paradigm. End of quote. From preference addiction to global competitiveness has now become the daily mantra both in the private sector and in government. This is shaping a new business mindset also. The new policy thrust of the government would constitute a major turning point in the development of Mauritius. It started off with cross-cutting bold and fundamental uh, reforms with a clearly defined objective of moving the country from reliance on preferences to global competitiveness. I won't go in detail into what are some of the uh, main objectives that we are trying to attain. Suffice to say that we want to make Mauritius a world-class doing business, uh, to create in Mauritius a world-class doing business environment, open up the economy further to foreign capital, talents, expertise and ideas, and strengthen macroeconomic uh, fundamentals in particular consolidating public finances and re-engineering tax policy. The 15% uniform rate of corporate and personal tax makes of Mauritius today one of the lowest lowest, uh, tax uh, jurisdictions uh, in the world. We have had some very encouraging uh, uh, positive and early outcomes from uh, this policy, and this has... uh, uh, reinforce the rational and wisdom of uh, the new development uh, paradigm, and uh, the most uh, prominent and positive rewards have been soaring for indirect investment, uh, record level of portfolio investment from abroad, booming economic sectors, and the economy going back to a six percent uh, growth rate now You've heard about uh, the Doing Business Index of the World Bank, the Heritage Foundation and so on. Time Magazine recently referred to Mauritius as the development darling of uh, Africa. And the Trade Enabling Index that came out only yesterday uh, from the World Economic Forum uh, describes Mauritius as the highest ranked country in southern, in sub-Saharan Africa ahead of some EU countries. and. Uh, ahead of all the four countries constituting uh, the BRICS. So uh, we, we, we want really to take Mauritius uh, to new heights of uh, development. We have chalked out a new sustainable development strategy that will hopefully uh, put the country on a growth path of 8% and higher. And this will be achieved by a new focus on enhancing our human capital base, Uh, Massive investment in physical infrastructure, re-engineering of the public sector with emphasis on service delivery and outcomes, and putting in place what I call an intelligent bureaucracy. To some of you, this may sound an oxymoron, but we can actually have an intelligent uh, bureaucracy. And striking the right balance between economic and social uh, development, broadening the circle of opportunities, and eradicating uh, poverty. A new momentum is fueling uh, the economy by a thriving cluster of emerging sectors comprising the Information Communication Technology Centre, business process outsourcing, real estate development for high-net-worth individuals, uh, the seafood and aquaculture uh, sector, the knowledge, medical tourism, professional services and logistics. By and large, Mauritius is now heading towards an economy that will be increasingly knowledge-based and uh, services-driven. It is also putting in place all the institutional and infrastructural wherewithals to make of uh, Mauritius a premier business hub and as a gateway to uh, Africa, linking Asia and Australasia to the continent. Now, very quickly, uh, some of the critical policy decisions and the sine qua non for success. In my view it boils down to a few things. The quality of political leadership, a leadership that is uh, visionary, that is uh, forward-looking. Both Botswana and Mauritius, we have been blessed in the sense that all the political uh, leaders that we've had have been very, very uh, visionary in their approach and also very forward-looking. Institutions, institutions and institutions. The role... Of, of the state uh, and uh, management. Uh, in a previous incarnation when I was minister responsible for the civil service somebody asked me what is my definition of management and I said it's, common, it's nothing else but organized common sense. So we decided to take a common, commonsensical and pragmatic approach to managing the affairs of uh, the country. We did not reinvent the wheel. We have drawn up uh, a business, a governance model, uh, based on the experience of Singapore, of Hong Kong, New Zealand, Ireland, and uh, the Nordic uh, countries. We have cast uh, a strong institutional foundation for what I call pillars of growth and prosperity together with political and social stability. We believe very strongly that there is an intrinsic link between political and social stability and growth and prosperity. We have a vibrant and robust multi-party democracy in Mauritius. Regular free and fair elections are mandatory. I myself had to submit uh, myself to the Tribunal of Public Opinion In in Mauritius, uh, I won four times and I lost two times, which means the system uh, operates very uh, perfectly. We have a a totally independent uh, electoral uh, commission. Freedom of speech and freedom of religion are deeply entrenched in our constitution. We have a rigorous, almost uh, religious adherence to the rule of law. We have a fiercely independent uh, judiciary, And when Mauritius became a republic, this has been a very, very important uh, point. When Mauritius became a republic in 1992, we took the wise decision of maintaining the Privy Council of the UK as the ultimate court of appeal. I mean, an investor looking at Mauritius, when he sees that you have the ultimate court of appeal is the law lords in the UK, uh, believe me, uh, this Uh, is an important factor that they take into account when taking uh, investment uh, decisions. Property rights and contracts are stringently uh, respected. We have a fairly generous uh, social uh, policy. We have free education up to tertiary level, free health uh, services, although private institutions are encouraged to deliver these services. Social policy is seen more as an investment to enhance human capital base rather than mere ideological posturing. Uh, An educated workforce that is also uh, uh, bilingual. We have a very uh, dynamic private sector supported by strong institutions which have been in existence for more than one and a half uh, centuries. And above all, we have managed to craft a very smart partnership between the business and government. Notwithstanding the fact that we have our areas of of, uh, divergence, but somehow both the private sector and uh, the government realises that we should have a convergence of views as to what should be our development uh, objectives. The government, uh, we're talking here of the critical role of the state as a business facilitator, and in providing conditions for wealth creation. At the level of the political leadership, there is a broad consensus on socio economic fundamentals and what should be the role of government. The government has created an enabling milieu for investment and opportunities to convert ideas and innovation into value added activities, whilst ensuring an environment conducive for a thriving entrepreneurial culture to maximise wealth, to maximise wealth creation. The government, of course, is mindful of the crucial importance of an equitable distribution of the fruits of growth. This would provide not only a powerful incentive for increasing productivity, but also sustaining the social cohesion of our multi-ethnic society. We have, to a great extent, uh, been able to harmonise our ethnic differences and give concrete expression to the concept of unity uh, in diversity and the idea of competitive uh, diversity. There is in Mauritius today a broad national consensus for a complete re-engineering of the economy and society. Everybody realises that the name of the game is global competitiveness and that the only way to sustain an economic growth rate of 6% is through a process of constant renewable and reform. I also became very unpopular in Mauritius for having said a long time ago, and that was when I lost the election subsequently, Uh, when I was asked if I had a message for the population and for the civil servants in particular, I said simply adapt or perish. And today, uh, this is uh, what we have to do. We have to keep adapting our strategy to meet the exigencies of an international economic climate that is becoming more and more uh, difficult. So by way of conclusion, what the Mauritius case uh, has proved is that creating an environment that is free enterprise-friendly, encouraging a flourishing, vibrant, compassionate private sector, yet another oxymoron, uh, ensuring an equitable distribution of wealth can be a very powerful instrument to make a dent on poverty and ensure the socioeconomic development of a country. Notwithstanding what I have said, Mauritius faces a lot of challenges, the transition to global competitiveness is turning out to be quite difficult and painful. Success, as I said, is relative. We will never allow the positive indicators and kudos that we get from various international bodies to blind us to the fact that success, if poorly managed, breeds complacency. And complacency is a luxury small countries like Mauritius with a very meagre resource base cannot afford. For us, success means work in progress. It's very much still work in progress. We will continue in our efforts at creating a social business ecosystem that will allow us to carve a niche in the global uh, economy. There is no other way forward. We still have a long journey uh, ahead to prove that Mark Twain was indeed right. And I'm quite optimistic. By nature, I describe myself as a worried optimistic, but still uh, optimistic nonetheless. Uh, I'm quite optimistic that we will make it as we have the will, not only to succeed, but we have the will to succeed with success. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Mr. Ambassador, for a for a fascinating uh, contribution as well. Thank you. Uh, before I open it to Q and A, I'm going to abuse my immensely powerful position as the moderator of this debate and uh, ask each of you a question. Um, Ms. Ambassador Lakua, you mentioned a number of cultural societal values, including uh, consensus, uh, tolerance, pragmatism, inclusiveness, and so on that 's a very scary thought for a development economist, uh, because culture is not something that you can really do much about uh, in a short to medium term. Um, let me be provocative and suggest that um, the the real reason why Botswana could have consensus toleration, inclusion, etc. is because it is largely a single ethnic country a um, a a factor that uh, has not been present in many other African countries. And I wonder if you could comment briefly on that. Ambassador Ruhi, um, quick question for you, if I may, as well. Um, I I was encouraged to hear that the government of Mauritius um, has the necessary leadership, but also that it has chosen a, a bunch of countries as the examples are Mauritius to follow that I certainly associate with high economic growth rates, such as Hong Kong, Singapore, and Ireland. But where does the political will and the political consensus come from that you consider those countries to be examples to follow? There are many other countries in Africa that to this day uh, continue to look toward Cuba and Libya and... um, uh, West Germany, but I would say Germany of, of today, rather than Erhard Germany back in the fifties, as examples to follow. Um, where where is that cohesiveness in political leadership coming from? Thank
1: you. I can answer from here. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Marion. Uh, I, I have had that uh, theory before that uh, uh, the less uh, hom- uh diverse you are uh, the more likely that you are you you, you are to have uh, unity. Uh but I think for me, uh without going into many examples, I think what matters is what I say I called uh, tolerance. Uh, because uh, we have had uh, examples of societies which which have had conflict, but they are completely homogeneous. Uh, so, uh, therefore, I don't think it's necessarily the the presence of uh, tribal groupings or ethnic uh, divisions uh, or groupings that uh, really counts. I think what counts is one tolerance uh, that, uh, you know, however, you know, view you present, uh, which is different from other people's, uh, it will be accommodated. Thank you. Uh, th- secondly, I think, is the institutions. I think the ambassador called, uh, called it the power of institutions. Uh, institutions that deliver uh, uh, results or outputs that are predictable. And within that milieu or scenario, you are likely, more likely to have a, a cohesion or absence of uh, of, 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 of conflict uh, if you have that uh, predictable uh, framework in, in, in place. So really, for me, it's not a question of, uh, of mere presence of uh, dif- differences, but I think it's uh, uh, more, in- more, more importantly, you know, the culture or the ideas that are behind uh, what you do. Thank
2: you. Uh, <clears throat> what I'd like to say is uh, this question reminds me of what Winston Churchill said, that uh, if you're not a socialist at the age of 25, uh, it means you have no heart. Uh, And if you're not a capitalist at the age of 40, it means you have no brain. Uh, Why I'm saying this because I must concede, the first time that I got elected, we got elected on a very socialist uh, platform. Uh, And our manifesto included the nationalisation of the sugar industry and so on. And uh, immediately uh, when I sat in my office as Minister of Economic Planning and Development, uh, I got a phone call from Washington the IMF and the World Bank wanted to come and pay us a, vi- a courtesy visit. <laughs> and uh, when I look at what they had on the agenda of that uh, courtesy visit, I got really scared. And then we realized that uh, the practice of power uh, is uh, different from what uh, we learned from the uh, from textbook. So uh, I, I think, uh, I, I, must, I must say, uh, the political leadership, has been greatly uh, impressed by what uh, Lee Kuan Yew uh, has done in Singapore, because there is uh, there are two situations which are really comparable. How Singapore was a very poor country when uh, Lee Kuan Yew uh, took over, uh, but I must say, uh, you know, I was telling to Marion that, uh, and I'm I'm an ambassador but not a diplomat because. Uh, I've never been a diplomat before. So what I'm going to say is uh, we wanted to borrow the best from Singapore and throw away the worst uh, because we wanted to uh, develop our country in a really uh, democratic and uh, legal framework that perhaps uh, still up to now don't really uh, exist in Mauritius. But we also learn from other people's mistakes. With due respect to my very good friend, the ambassador... Of uh, of Tanzania, uh, we were all very inspired by uh, what uh, people like Nyerere uh, and so on uh, were doing. He was a great president in maintaining the social uh, stability uh, of his country, but uh, we realized that uh, you know, uh, emulating what some of the countries were doing uh, would lead us to nowhere. So, uh, I think. Uh, a highly educated uh, population and uh, a very uh, pragmatic pragmatic approach to uh, the management of the affairs of of our country has uh, built up over the years this broad consensus uh, that we have uh, today based on the model of uh, places like uh, Singapore. And and, uh, there's one final thing that uh, I need to say is that uh, On a fairly regular basis, we got people from uh, New Zealand, uh, Ruth Richardson, the former uh, Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of of, uh, Finance, the former uh, Prime Minister of of, uh, Ireland, uh, the former Minister of Finance from uh, Chile, from Mexico. We got all these people together now and then to talk to the Cabinet of uh, Ministers and try to learn from uh, these people, Uh, mistakes, and also uh, some of the things that they've they've got right. The emphasis on human capital uh, development today uh, comes from what Ireland has managed to do in terms of investing so much in education, for instance.
0: Thank you. I'm going to open it now to a question and answer session. Um, Please wait until until the microphone gets to you, and if you would be so kind and uh, tell us who you are and keep the questions as well as the answers uh, as short as possible so that we can get as many uh, questions in as we can. Are there any questions? Oh, my goodness. Okay, right in front.
3: Uh, My name is Gabriel Roth. Uh, I have a question uh, for Ambassador Ruhi. Uh, about free trade zones. About 20 years ago, I was working for a company that was promoting and helping the establishment of free, tra- free trade zones all over the world, and one of our favorites was one in Mauritius. Um, my question is, I don't know what has happened to that since, but um, do you have any comments about free-trade zones as aids to development?
2: Thank you. Want me to go? Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. In terms, in terms of economic uh, diversification, uh, the free-trade zones have really been uh, tremendous. Uh, the export processing zones, as uh, we call them, where people really the inputs duty-free, add value to them and export uh, to uh, essentially uh, guaranteed markets in, in Europe and, and, and the U.S. Uh, I think uh, what, what the free trade zones did for Mauritius in the first place is we had investors who came uh, and uh, gradually helped Mauritius to develop the necessary skills both in terms of marketing and in terms of technology to such an extent that today what we call the EPZ sector or EPZ sector in Mauritius is uh, mainly uh, Mauritian-owned. Uh, mainly Mauritian-owned. This has spawned uh, a lot of, of uh, investment from the, uh, uh, from the private sector in Mauritius into uh, essentially from, from sugar to the export processing zone. This has been a tremendous uh, success. But again... For EPZ uh, to be successful, there are certain uh, institutional issues that you need need to address, and I think we managed to address these issues fairly well. The EPZ is still alive and kicking in Mauritius, trying now to compete uh, globally instead of uh, depending exclusively on, on protective nets. This is a big challenge, but it's there.
0: Lady over there.
4: My name is Yang Noyun. I used to work for the World Bank as a senior economist. Thank you very much for the interesting, co- the, um, the presentations. I have one question for each of the ambassadors. First of all, um, to the ambassador of Botswana, it is, I, when I was working on Africa, it was really impressive to see the old the experience in, Botswana but one thing I really want to know about is why other countries with resources um, came in. encountered the sort of curse of the resources but the uh, Botswana really didn't to get into that trap and the Botswana took advantage of the resources Botswana has very well so it would be very uh, useful if you explain us how in Botswana uh, the, uh, the uh, leadership could take advantage of the resources very well rather than the uh, as a curse. And then I have one more one question to the um, ambassador of the uh, Mauritius. When I was working on the uh, uh, Jamaica, uh, Jamaica and the uh, Mauritius sort of took the similar step to the uh, economic development in uh, late 1980s and early 1990s, but the. Um, Jamaica completely not completely but Jamaica failed in uh take off but the mauritius really um did very well someone wonder and then i'd like to i just if i dare to say i don't think that Mauritius did very well until nineteen nineties or late nineteen eighties so i it would be really helpful if you uh explain us how, what made the difference uh the uh between nineteen ninety 1980s and 1990s, and if I dare to exercise my freedom of exercise, freedom of speech, it would be very nice if the moderator to sort of collect a couple of questions together, and then the uh, ask uh, the ambassadors to answer. Then more audience will be allowed to have. Uh,
0: I'll I'll, Q&A. I'll take it on board, and uh, after they answer a couple of questions we, ju- we just gave them, I will I will take more questions at a time.
1: Uh, well, the question on the resource case, I think this refers to natural resources. Uh, I think the way, best way to start is to refer to what my former president has uh, characterized, it, how he has characterized it before, and said that uh, resources or natural resources are morally neutral. And therefore, there is no resource that, uh, whether it's oil or you know, copper or, 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 or diamonds or anything, that is intrinsically bad. Uh, what has to take place first is conflict, a conflict arising out of, for many reasons, perhaps, uh, you, you, know, you know, like, you know, intolerance, you know, competition, you know, of, of interest for over over few resources or uh, scarce resources and so forth. And then uh, that's what you have first, you know, you know, parties to a conflict. And then what they will do is uh use whatever resources they, are, they they find available to, to them to use. Uh, you have found that in some countries, uh, you know, the two parties, uh, depending on where they are, would use whatever they have in their locality. So uh, I think, uh, therefore, for, for, for me, uh, it, it is not really a question of resources at all. You can re- use resources as you wish. Uh, they don't cause conflict. Conflict is caused by people through... Maybe, you know, for, 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 for other reasons, maybe power or, or, or competing interests and so forth. And I think in Botswana, uh, that's how we look at it. And uh, in our case, we have uh, used them uh, very, very well, productively for development. I think the fact that we have uh, free education uh, and, uh, f- uh, and, and free health care, which is a rarity around the world, uh, is as a result of uh, that resource or those resources. And uh, that's how we, we 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 will continue to use them, and how that's the only use that we know that resources are used for, and nothing else. But uh, I, I don't think again it is resources per se. Uh, otherwise, uh, many other countries which have got more resources than Botswana, and uh, and uh, and and others would, would have uh,
2: had conflict. Relating to. Uh the question, the comparison between uh, Mauritius and uh, uh, Jamaica. Uh, as I said in my presentation, I think we have managed to have uh, a national consensus on the model of uh, development. I don't want to get into details, but uh, I, I reckon that to a certain extent, uh, the ideological divide in, in Jamaica between the opposition and uh, the government uh, has been a factor which, uh, in my view, has uh, prevented Jamaica doing as well as uh, uh, Mauritius. Uh, And also, uh, again, at the risk of repeating what I said, it's institutions, institutions, and institutions. I mean, uh, Mauritius, uh, we have some major weaknesses, I must must say, but uh, we are working on them. And uh, our institutions uh, have been operating uh, fairly uh, smoothly, and this has contributed to creating this environment for wealth uh, creation. Uh, I'm not suggesting that uh, these don't exist in in Jamaica, but I think at the end of the day, the national consensus that we've been able to to foster uh, both among the political leadership and in the population has been uh, quite helpful.
0: All right. By popular demand, we'll take more questions at the same time. Those two ladies over there. And I just emphasize, keep them as short as possible.
3: Thank you very much. Thank you for coming today. Uh, my name is Carrie LaCrosse, and I work with the State Department. And I just have a quick question um, for uh, Ambassador Lakoa. Uh, recognizing, of course, that there has been rapid uh, GDP growth uh, in Botswana and that the economy is doing very well, we also, though, still see that, um, according to UNDP, um, a considerable number of people still live under a dollar a day. Uh, I think the, the ra- uh, level in 2005 was about 28 percent. I'm wondering what kind of approach, what kind of policies the government of Botswana is looking to, to try to deal with that disparity issue. Thank you. Hello, my name is Ellie Newman, and I'm with Africa Action. And I was interested to hear that while both of your speeches talked a lot about the role of culture in development, it seemed like, Mr. Lakoa, your speech was more about how the government can capitalize on what already exists in the culture, while, while in Mauritius it was more like the government could change the culture and make it less complacent and more entrepreneurial. So I was wondering if you could speak about um, how the government can use different tools and institutions to change the culture or just take what's best.
0: Do we have any more questions? Okay. gentlemen, in the back.
5: Yes, thank you. My name is uh, Frédéric Ngogagaterete. I'm the regional manager for Africa for a risk uh, management firm called IJIT. And first of all, I would like to congratulate you. Uh, Both your countries are rated as a one, which means that risk almost free, which is pretty good. Um, It's very rare, actually, for us to rate a country a one. So that's good for you. My question is, um, I think it's the ambassador of uh, Mauritius was talking about institutions, institutions, institutions. I I'm kind of curious to know, how is it that Botswana and Mauritius actually have, have come to build such strong institutions that will outlive probably uh, the current regimes and also maintain a level of stability in your countries? How have you done that? Because we've seen in other African countries where there is really a political will to strengthen the institutions, but yet the countries are incapable of doing so. So do you have like a magic formula I'm kind of curious you. about that.
3: Thank you. Uh,
1: the first question for me was uh, on, uh, on the poverty rate. Uh, indeed, that is a worry for the government. And I think uh, the biggest answer or proposal is really to address that through uh, economic diversification, uh, to create wealth, uh, uh, first of all, and to secondly, to create other growth points uh, beyond diamonds, uh, tra- well, re- uh, diamonds and beef and agriculture. And uh, this is why Botswana is uh, one of the countries that uh, maybe 20, 30 years ago, I-, I think I should say, admittedly, together with other African countries. Uh, so they need to put in place uh, a conducive environment uh, for doing business uh, in order to grow these economies to use that word. Uh, so uh, as we speak now, uh, the, the diversification uh, program is on course. Uh, we have many uh, sectors that have been uh, identified, uh, uh, starting with, say, manufacturing. Uh, in that sector, we have, uh, uh, you know, to start with the common one, the one that you'll be familiar with, with textiles, even though it is not a traditional industry. Uh, but uh, thanks to the U.S. government for providing us with the the regime, uh, you know, co- uh, the AGOA, uh you know, framework, we we are able to access the U.S. market. The ball is in our court. We are not doing as we should be doing. Uh, and then uh, in that area also, we have uh, you know glass manufacturing, uh, just to name a few. Uh, we also uh, are, we have established uh, an international financial financial services sector or center. Uh, which is a, a package of incentives uh, to attract uh, you know, financial institutions to set up in Botswana uh, and land offshore uh, because locally it's a small market and uh, you have banks that are, have already established themselves, you know, the, the, the traditional ones that you know from South Africa and Britain. Uh, but this will be an exercise. All we are providing is an, an, an environment, a conducive environment, uh, another manufacturing, uh, uh, you know, you know, you know, prospect, uh, which I should mention here, perhaps of interest, is jewellery making. Uh, you know that uh, well, Botswana is one of the, you know, the, the producers of diamonds, and these diamonds used to be aggregated in London and uh, and and uh, and, uh, and uh, traded from there and passeded out to users all over the world, to the site holders. But that operation has since moved to Botswana. Uh, through negotiations with the other parties, and uh, that would guarantee or make it uh, more possible for uh, countries or, or companies that are interested in jewelry uh, you know diamond polishing, cutting, and manufacturing to set up in Botswana so that is uh, considered to be a very very important uh, uh, so all, all these uh, and, and many many others uh, are really. Among the 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 proposals or the initiatives that government thinks would address the 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 poverty rate, indeed, is a concern. And the the major reason for that is that we are a mono economy, depending on or dependent on diamond trade, and and that particular sector is capital intensive. The employment that it Generate is less than ten percent in in the country. The whole diamond, even though Botswana is the largest producer of diamonds, but it benefits less than ten percent from in terms of employment. Uh, and then we we also have uh, you know the beef sector. Uh, we are the largest exporter of beef to Europe uh, from the ACP group uh, uh, together with a few other countries. So really, largely, that's how we we, we look at it. Uh, we hope that we will succeed, and we also have to fight the culture of entitlement, as my brother said. Uh, we keep on telling our people that uh, diamonds are not forever, uh, contrary to the <laughs> like that one, <laughs> contrary to the saying <laughs> in, in the in the movies. Uh, culture and institutions. Uh, what I was saying is that, or, or you want the, the ambassador? To okay. Or you want to come in before You're you? Ah, okay. <laughs> the, the way I understood it is that, uh, you know, the, how do you balance the, you know, the culture and institutions? Uh, what I was saying was that uh, our institutions or, or our, our traditional institutions predate the colonial era. In other words, we had democratic, what we considered and still consider democratic institutions before the colonialists came. And we merely built on this. Uh, and in certain cases, just you know, had to change only the na- the nomenclature uh, rather than the content. Uh, the the traditional uh, course that I have uh, the, these are I mean they are not really unique to Botswana, many other countries you have, uh, but we have kept these uh, we have used them, and uh, therefore that's how we we think we were able to manage. Uh, to have uh, strong institutions because we didn't have to learn afresh the culture that uh, the British had brought about of, of modern politics or, or, or institutions or consensus or consultations or tolerance. These were already uh, embedded in people's culture. Uh, I think this also could go to answer partly the answer, the, 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 the last question as to how Botswana and Mauritius uh, managed to. They have a magic wand in in building institutions that uh, were well, uh, that are working, relatively speaking. Uh, I think for us again, in case of Botswana, is because these institutions, the culture is not new. Uh, what is new, really, uh, is perhaps the format. Uh, so uh, we, we we had been practicing those things before, uh, or we had that culture before, uh, before, before colonialism, if the assumption is that uh, colonial, the, the colonialist or modern you know, dispensation of politics brought is the ones, uh, the ones that brought about institutions. In, uh, what I'm saying, at least in the case of Botswana, is that there were institutions before, and therefore perhaps the answer for us is that in our case it's just a continuation of what we had before, and the assumption, my assumption there is that uh, these were and are still are valid institutions, and and we, we call them institutions. Uh, they are as good as any other institutions.
2: I think, as far as uh, institutions are concerned in Mauritius, uh, the constitution that we have, which is uh, sacrosanct, as far as uh, the population is concerned, clearly. Uh, emphasize the uh, separation of powers between the executive and uh, uh, the judiciary. For me, this is fundamental. And and believe me, those are the helm of what I consider to be uh, really uh, the institutional pillars of our society. Uh, They will never allow our institutions to be lapdogs for political masters uh, of the day. (laughs) Uh, I think this has contributed uh, tremendously. This has contributed tremendously. Uh, And then we believe for a small country like Mauritius with no resources that actually having efficient, effective institutions is a tremendous competitive advantage.
0: I will will take two very quick last questions over there and then I will ask those two gentlemen. And I will ask the ambassadors to maybe stay behind for a few more minutes to, to to respond to the rest of you, but very quickly, if I may.
3: Thank you. My name is Wijnald Marshal. i with the Netherlands Embassy. First, I would like to apologize to the, uh, to the ambassador of Mauritius because it was uh, uh, a couple of Dutch people who came to your island and called it after a Dutch prince, Prince Maurits. And apparently they didn't find a lot of uh, food resources except for the dodo, and that's... Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, how you got rid of uh, that uh, that animal. My question is uh, to both of the ambassadors um, about the outreach to other African countries, because I, I think other African countries can learn a lot from uh, from from the success stories of uh, of uh, of Mauritius and Botswana. Do you um, do you um, uh, uh, share share this with uh, with these African countries, maybe in the forum for of uh, of um, well sub regional organisations, or um, well maybe you can tell a bit about how other African countries um, you know come to you and ask. Uh, well, how how did you do this? Thank you, thank you, gentlemen behind you. Uh,
6: th- thank you very much. Um, in, in the first instance, I would like to uh, congratulate. Uh, my colleagues, the ambassadors of Botswana and Mauritius, coming from Sarku and Sadak, of course, uh, uh, they um, have made us proud. They're, they are an, uh, an example to be emulated. So mine is just a commendation. And uh, my exit uh, request is that, yes, we, we are all embarking in the region, uh, in the um, uh, reforms, democratic reforms, economic reforms, and uh, yes, we 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 talk about these issues within Sarag, and Sarag is moving ahead. But uh, what we we don't see coming in, uh, unfortunately, and we need to work on that is the the the, the flow of investments uh, from uh, this part of the world from the US,
0: to
3: and, be precise. And who are you? Uh, okay,
6: I I I was aware that I had forgotten to say who I am. I was going to, and uh, my name is Moshe who I'm the Ambassador of the to the. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you, thank very you much. So very much. Thank you so very much. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much for, for your question. Uh, I, must, uh, I must say that uh, uh, when I was Minister of Agriculture, I decided to seek compensation from the Dutch government for decimating the, uh, the dodo. But then your Minister of Agriculture reminded me that we got rid of the dodo, but we brought you sugarcane and the deer. Uh, on which your economy is uh, thriving today. Uh, you know, I, I hate to, to appear uh, that our success stories are so tremendous that others have to learn from us. Uh, we are important players in, in, in SADC, the Southern African Development Community. We are important players in COMESA, the, uh, the Common Market for Eastern and Southern uh, Africa. Uh, believe me, if there is one suggestion I can make, to Cato. Uh, There are tremendous things happening in Africa generally and in particular in our region. I have in front of me my very good friend, the ambassador from Tanzania. I made a hell of a lot of money when I was in the private sector going to Tanzania and brokering (laughs) deals and giving advice to our clients. Uh, (laughs) The the great uh, success stories that we have in the region, which very few people talk about, are places like Tanzania. I mean, the Eastern African community, with Tanzania, Kenya, that has managed to put uh, its uh, recent hiccup uh, behind it, Uh, Uganda, Rwanda, and hopefully now the situation in Burundi is stabilizing. I think, you know, there is a process of uh, mutual learning. Uh, We are expanding our economic space because we are, very too, we, are, we are too small, but uh, believe me, we are fostering partnerships for the mutuality of our interests based precisely on what we can learn uh, from each other. And I can tell you today, there are quite a few lessons that Mauritius can derive from what the Tanzanians, for example, uh, and the Ugandans are doing. So, you know, uh, we have to be a bit uh, modest in not giving the impression that, you know, we are here to give private tuition to uh, leaders of, of the region on how to uh, put their house in order and to manage things. Because at the end of the day, as I said, you know, management is organized common sense. As, some, as long as you have some common sense, it's just a matter of, put it, of, of putting things together.
1: Uh, first, I would like to acknowledge the, the intervention by my brother from Lesotho. He's the only person here who speaks my language. And we always uh, argue as to who, who, who owns this language, who first spoke this language. They, they think they did, and, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, we think we, we did. Uh, so, but we speak uh, about 99% the same. Uh, they accuse us of having gone too far to the north and, uh, and got the language uh, you know, you know, sort of diluted. And we say they remain too, too far to the south. Uh, so thanks for coming, my brother. Uh, well, I think uh, along the lines of what the ambassador of Mauritius said, uh, in Botswana we say, given uh, the size of the country and the population and, and our influence, that we can only lead by, by precept and example. We cannot do it any other way because we are not big enough to employ any other means to influence or to, to, to influence others. I'll give you an example. Uh, I, I don't know whether it's a good example, but uh, we, 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 during the apartheid uh, era in South Africa and the uh, colonial, you know, I- you know, occupation of uh, Southern Africa in general, uh, was got got independence in 1966, and uh, ov- obviously it was a black ruled country, and then in South Africa there was apartheid. And uh, the, the man who became the first president of Botswana was, at the time, uh, studying in the UK. And uh, after he finished his studies, they said, well, you shouldn't go back to Botswana because, uh, well, to lead your country because uh, he had political ambitions. He later became the first president uh, because, uh, you know, how would you be viewed by the apartheid South Africa? Because they had laws that uh, prohibited uh, marriage across the color lines, or the color line. Uh, and it was a big thing for them, and they suggested that he should instead go and become uh, a governor of Jamaica and not go back to his country. He said, well, I'm not a Jamaican. I don't know Jamaica. I have to go back to my country. But the, the biggest thing was, first of all, how do you deal with this, the myth of, of the supremacy, white supremacy, which prohibited Marriage are called the color lines, and secondly, the myth that uh, black people could not rule themselves. So it was uh, for some people a big, a big deal. Uh, the, the, the 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 gentleman later went back to Botswana and became president. And what we, we thought we were doing was that uh, just by having that. Uh, f- first of all, he, I should say that he he, he was married to. To, to a British lady He got married to a British lady over in, in the UK uh, This was the reason for why he shouldn't have gone back to, Because uh, they said How are you going to explain Being married to a white woman next door to South Africa So he went back And what we thought we were doing First of all by having the president married to a, a white person uh, And then uh, a black country you know, Ruling itself Or governing its own affairs So we, we We said that what uh, we thought we believed that uh, that was a powerful message, a powerful lesson, a powerful a moral lesson to to South Africa Big as it was probably twenty times bigger than Botswana in terms of every political influence economy, military and everything uh, so so we believe that uh, that must have had an impact because it uh, destroyed the myth. Of uh, on, on those two fronts. And uh, the South Africans later got around to do what everybody does or everybody thinks. And uh, so this is what we mean by because of, of, of our size that we can only lead by, 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 by precept and example. Uh, as the ambassador said, we, we, are, we, we, we are just in a, two countries in a, a, a region sub-region, part of the larger you know, African continent, which has seen uh, you know, tremendous political and economic reform. And uh, really, as the ambassador said, uh, our success is relative. But we are talking of Africa now, which has uh, embraced change in all its aspects, and is moving forward and is seeking a place in the world uh, 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 and, and in, in terms of, uh, of, of doing business. In terms of solving problems, first of all, solving its own problems. Mm -hmm. So uh, we we think that this this is a continent uh, on the march which wants to be part of the international community.
0: Thank you very much. Um, Please join us upstairs for lunch and uh, thank um, the ambassadors here. Thank Thank you.